Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host, and today I welcome back Lloyd Capuccio and Kevin Liddell, and we invited Mr. Scott Smith, and we're all going to sit here and talk about how we got started in cooking, how we got started in the sous vide, and what motivates us to create amazing dishes for our families. I'll be right back with Lloyd, Kevin, and Scott. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter. Hey all, I want to introduce you to a company I just started working with, Fresh Jack's Organic Spices out of Jacksonville, Florida. They're a small, family-run company that's fast-growing. I've tried a bunch of their different seasoning blends and spices, and I can tell you they're all fresh. All organic. None of them contain artificial flavors or sweeteners. None of them have anti-caking agents or preservatives. They all taste like they were just made for you yesterday. Check them out, guys. They're on Amazon in the link below. They have different sample packs, different blends. Like I said, they also have the individual seasonings and spices as well. Fresh Jack's Organic Spices. Check them out, guys. I love them. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I am Darren. I am your host. And today, it's going to be a great show. I've got my friends Kevin Liddell and Lloyd Capuccio. And we've invited somebody new, Mr. Scott Smith. He is going to be with us. I'm going to introduce him in just a second. But we're going to just do some general talking. Um, I didn't really have any kind of uh, outline plan. I just wanted to kind of just talk about, you know, how we all got into cooking, you know, what drives us into the crazy things that we do. We're all a bunch of food geeks and um, we all like to follow the same Facebook groups and uh, experiment and do all kinds of stuff. So I thought it would be fun just to kind of pick all of our brains at once instead of our noses. We'll just pick our brains. So Scott Smith, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, where you're from. Yes, sir. Uh, humbled to be here with all this uh, knowledge. I'm a newbie. Uh, I live in Montgomery, Alabama. My primary means of making a living is uh, electronic security. Um, <clears throat> been playing around with uh, cooking for probably only about three years now. I'm, I'm really new and green. Uh, I think I ran into you um I was doing research for a uh, pellet grill and you had just bought the camp chef and uh, that kind of kind of started the whole ball rolling right there. Yeah. I thought, didn't you also have a Kamado Joe or were you in the Kamado Joe group as well? Or was it strictly pellet grills? I was considering getting one. I never did get one. Gotcha. So you really haven't been cooking for long, but you know, three years is still, you seem to have taken that initial uh, playing around with a pellet grill a little bit further because now you're doing sous vide and you're mixing it with barbecue and you're you're doing a lot of other things. So what have you found in, the, in this last three years that drives you or motivates you to try new things? Well, my, my previous hobby was drag racing for almost 30 years. And there's a lot of data acquisition involved there, a lot of highly technical scientific stuff and so that's kind of the way i started approaching cooking i needed another hobby and it just it just happened i don't know what actually started other than trying to trying to eat right and and trying to eat low carb so i was prepping a lot of uh of proteins and everything i did on the grill i failed miserably at it It, if it was a pork shop it was either too dry or or burnt and chicken was either raw or or burnt or dry and it and then i just i think i think i stumbled across the video of doing reverse sear steaks and i think i did the first one in the oven and uh i thought well if i'm gonna uh, and it came out really good and i thought well if i'm gonna continue to do this i need to have a way to control the heat so that's when I started looking at pellet grills. Um, <clears throat> and then after getting the pellet grill, I think, I think I was in your group and got exposed to sous vide. And I was like, wow, this is even better. And uh, it went crazy after that. I think 
you know, a lot of people that don't cook often or, or don't have an interest in it initially don't understand how much science and, and technical technical stuff can be involved in it and why it, you know, why things are the way they are. That's what always drove me. I've been cooking since I was, you know, in my teens, I started out working in restaurants and stuff, but it always intrigued me that, you know, you go into a restaurant and you order a plate of food and they put it down in front of you. You really, unless you've been in the back room or if you cooked, you don't know what it takes to put that food on that plate. And it always intrigued me to, understand and, and want to learn how to, how that all happens. And, um, I, I always want to know the whys of everything. And that's why I love amazingribs.com and meathead. And that's why I love, you know, Lloyd's blog. And, and, you know, I love to learn and teach and, and, and create new things because I think that once people understand how much it really takes, when you start getting into the upper, uh, you know, the master chefs, you know, the, the, people at Crea and, and, and all that, that some of the things that they go through in culinary school, I mean, it just boggles your mind on how much you can do cooking instead of just throwing something in a microwave or in an oven. So, so Lloyd, let's talk about you a little bit. You started the kosher dosher blog. How many years ago? Hmm. 10, 12, 13 years ago, maybe. Um, it started out as a food diary. Um, started getting older, started forgetting a lot of stuff. So oh, I'm going to keep a food diary. And people were asking me questions, and I started writing it down. But it was mostly for me. Then it evolved into something different. I've been cooking since I was a kid in New York. Um, ethnic culture, um, New York City melting pot. With the Navy in 83, I soon realized all the food outside of New York City sucked. Seriously. <laughs> I was stationed in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And uh, all the homes I went to for dinner, which wasn't often, salt and pepper, um, not great food. And my mom cooked, my father cooked, my grandparents cooked, my sister cooked, my aunts and uncles cooked. We all cooked. And uh, growing up, in a, I'm a I'm Jewish, um, father's father's Sicilian, a lot of ethnic food from Polish, Russian, Spanish, a lot of curries, Indian food. But I was stationed in Virginia Beach, Virginia, went out to a couple of restaurants, and this food sucks. So I really started getting into cooking a lot when I went in the Navy. And of course, it just uh, excelled from there. I got into sous vide. Uh, I, first started, I first saw sous vide on Iron Chef. It was Mario Battaglia in 2006 um, fighting this French guy. He pulls out this contraption, which was sous vide. I'm like, what the hell is that? I thought I knew a lot about food and, and cooking methods. And, and I researched it, started dabbling with that and probably... 2007 with like a, a crock pot and a cooler probably some of the things you guys did and then uh, Baldwin came out with his book in 2008 and it was like oh my god this is like it changed everything I thought about cooking and food and understood but my first unit in 2009 which was probably science chef series unit and I bought all the vessels and the cooking vessels and from there that's where I am today well, thanks for jumping ahead because that was one of my next questions, but uh, I, I really I'm didn't ask about Suvi. She's, I'm a, I'm you, a mind what reader. What are you doing, Kevin? Kevin, what are you doing? You're taking a picture? <laughs> You're muted. Uh, you muted. I'm looking on my phone. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Kevin, you're up next. So what got you started in cooking? I know that you're you, stack checking me. You are actually the <laughs> only one here. I think that's got a, that, that went to the culinary Institute of America. So you're actually, actually an actual chef, correct? I, yeah, kind of. I mean, I was for quite a long time, but I'm not working as a chef right now, but hopefully that is going to change. Uh, I had a couple things lined up, uh, in a row. I, I tried to get my ducks in a row. I took the class at Korea for the sous vide, uh, the three-day sous vide course. And then I took the uh, HACCP program course and got certification in that uh, and wanted to go into teaching this cooking process uh, to restaurants and caterers and that sort of thing. There was another business that I was getting involved in uh, that's a commercial uh, sort of medium-sized units, commercial sous vide uh, tank uh, slash processor. You know, sous vide, basically an all-in-one cooking unit for pretty large volume, between 30 gallons and 100-gallon tanks. Um, 
and both of those got shut down real quick by COVID in March. I was last down at uh, Cuisine Solutions in Korea, I think, in early March, and two weeks later, COVID hit, and so everything went to shit. Excuse my French. <laughs> so, what got you interested in cooking? Because I think your father was a uh, a surgeon, correct, or a doctor? Yeah, my yeah, my father was a surgeon, and I I definitely well, it was funny because I I definitely didn't want to do that because I saw he worked such long hours and then I was dumb enough to get into cooking and I started blowing him away, <laughs> you know? Um, but so I was, uh, I was at college up in Boston and, uh, I, we had, a uh, one of my roommates had left, so we needed to sublet the apartment and a friend of mine who had gone to the Culinary Institute of America was the one who subletted. And he got me interested, you know, I was always interested in food. I like to cook, but I just didn't really have any training or anything. Um, I mean, you know, I was pretty good at tuna salad sandwiches, <laughs> but uh, um, he said, well, Hey, why don't you, you know, I'll talk. So the, the guy was the executive chef, the corporate chef for uh, the restaurant where he worked. There were, I think four of the four restaurants, uh, but the one he worked at uh, had this guy who had been in, in the culinary Olympics and was on the board of the CIA and all that. And so I told him I was interested and he, he'd come back from work and tell me about work. I'm like, ah, that's really, you know, that sounds like fun. He said, well, let me talk to, you know, I forget the guy's name right off the top of my head, but let me talk to him and see what he says. And so I, and he said, yeah, he'd like to meet you and, and, you know, see what you have to have to offer. And I went in and I talked to him I said, yeah, I'm kind of interested in going to the Culinary Institute of America. And I understand that you're on the board and stuff. And he said, well, come in and work for me for free for a few weeks. And I'll, you know, see how you do it. And I'll write your recommendation. So I went in, I worked for free and it was, I mean, this kitchen, it was a big kitchen, really heavy volume, uh, Italian restaurant, um, and a real long line, but the hoods weren't big enough to suck all the heat out. <laughs> so I'd be standing on the grill. I mean, I did, you know, basic menial stuff, but I'd be working with my friend and stuff at the grill station and I'd have a pocket thermometer on. And it would read 130 degrees. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and we all told, we were able to tell, we, we, we all had pitchers, you know, full, you know, like half gallon pitchers of water and everyone would put like, like I had like four slices of lemon in mind to tell that was mine, but we would drink those. I mean, we would drink water. Like it was going out of style just to stay on our feet. And I fell in love with it. So I ended up going to this, you know, I ended up uh, back then you had to, have a few years experience before you could even apply to the CIA. I don't think you have to have any experience now to, to go there. Uh, but we had to have, I think two years to get in uh, behind you just cause I think they wanted to, you know, make sure you were actually into it, that you realized what you're getting into. Uh, cause I think a lot of kids now are looking, they're watching the food network and going, Oh, that's great. I'm going to be a, Bobby Flay and make 20 million a year and fly <laughs> yeah, on jets. Right. And, and I won't have to work that hard. I'll just make TV shows. Uh, and then they get into it and they lose their minds. Um, so anyway, that's how I got into cooking. And then I've been doing it uh, ever since. And the sous vide is really, really I ended up uh, working, doing a lot of catering, which I really enjoyed, but it was brutally physical. I mean, it just the amount, you know, lifting commercial commercial ovens on and off trucks all the time and you know carrying 100 pound cases of beef everywhere and back and forth so i ended up ruining my ruining my spine so that ended my my cooking career as far as physically you know putting in a 10 12 hour day walking around all the place and lifting stuff so now i just went and got myself educated and so i'm going to try to share share my education and and get paid for it so that's where yeah, I am right now. There's nothing like getting on hand experience for sure. I mean, I never went to culinary school, but I worked um, several different restaurants when I was younger, <clears throat> anywhere from a, you know, a, a Denny's to uh, TGI Fridays. And uh, I actually worked at a, at a more white tablecloth restaurant for a friend of mine that actually owned a restaurant. And I worked for him for a couple of years that, uh, one of the things I learned was I love to cook and I love to eat, but doing it for a living, it's a lot harder. It's not as glamorous as you see on TV. That's for sure. It's, uh, 
<laughs> there's a lot of work that goes behind it. There's a lot of long hours. The pay is not always that great unless, unless you are, you know, a world-class chef or something like that. It's, uh, you know, you work really hard and you, uh, you end up, um, you know, a lot of times not making a whole lot of money. So I, after about being in 10 years of it, I decided to, you know, get out of it and go into banking, make a little bit more money, have some better hours, but I still love to cook and I still like to learn and, 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 uh, you know, create new things. So, I mean, uh, that didn't stop me, but the to working in restaurants, you know, themselves, and that's what everybody I've talked to, like, uh, David Petrancic from uh, poly science and uh, Eric Villegas from VAC master, they, they have loved to have the same passion, but they're, they're much happier doing what they do now, which is teaching and, you know, promoting, uh, the companies that they work for creating, you know, food and not having to work those crazy hours and have all the investment and stuff like that of, um, of, you know, doing that in, in, in a, in a restaurant, uh, you know, situation. So, well, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, cause they're, I mean, we're all, I think everyone here is a, a food enthusiast and loves cooking as a hobby. I happen to be able to do it, uh, as a, as a job. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of work, but I, I really loved it. If I hadn't been injured, I'd still be doing it. Uh, but you know, you said you were a banker. I don't know anyone who does, you know, banking in their off time as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> they try to, they try to like, you know, oh, yeah. they, they sell, they're, they're uh, called mob, game, where the games, GameStop. <laughs> they're yeah. they're buying, buying GameStop. <laughs> no, the, you know, they, they just, they collect a VIG, you know? Hey, oh, well, you yeah, there's that. Vig, you know? Yeah. Well, Alrighty, so, so Scott. Was, oh. No, no, no talking from you right now, Lloyd. Sorry. Oh my God, he's gonna beat my <laughs> ass too. <laughs> so Scott, so what has driven you? So when you started out and you kind of started, you know, following some of the Facebook groups and learning some more, what has gotten under your, what's gotten into you to set, decide that you want to continue to learn more? Because you know, it's it's a far cry. You know, I, I did barbecue for a, a long time before I got into sous vide. So what, what made you start looking at sous vide? I think it was, it was a, the results, the results were mind blowing and B was, uh, the look on my friend's face when they ate what I prepared. That was, that was really rewarding to me. Um, uh, I'm constantly cooking food and giving it away to, to neighbors and friends. Now, since you're you're fairly new at even learning how to cook like within three years mm -hmm. how was the concept of sous vide how did how did that you know how did how did your mind try to figure that out i guess you, you since you're you know you're an engineering type background your mind yeah. is analytical to begin with correct because that's, that's one of the things most people even people that have cooked for a long time it's hard to get their minds around what sous vide is and what it can do um a lot of times the uh yeah it, it i pretty much uh figured it out right off the bat now um of course there's been some aha moments along the way one was you know probably a month ago when Lloyd did the big roast and seeing how long it takes that core to hit target temp that just absolutely blew my mind and then starting to look at the numbers and look at other other people's data it, it makes sense now that if you've got you know, a 133 bath and your target temp is 133. Well, it's going to, it's going to take forever to get that last one or two degrees because you're almost equilibrium already. So that, that was kind of, that kind of turned light bulb on seeing, seeing Lloyd's numbers on the, on the, the prime rib. Yeah, it's definitely um, a lot to get your mind wrapped around with pasteurization tables, you know, Lloyd and I and Kevin have talked about this a few times that, you know, people get pasteurization stuck in their head and they forget about some of the other aspects of CV cooking, which really pasteurization is only one small element of it. <laughs> you know, the benefits of it. That's are, a byproduct. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to understand and know it, but it's not the most important thing as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Um, and even with, with Crea and, and the people there, I mean, a lot of times they pre-sear their stuff so they can even avoid worrying about the whole pasteurization thing because 
99.9% of your pathogens are on the outside of your exterior meat. And if you sear it first, you kill it all. So, and unless you shop at Costco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you buy the, uh, the needled meat, but that's a, that's another story, but I think, you know, people tend to latch on and, and, and not really fully understand that, you know, there are certain elements that are part of it. And especially the people that try to quote Baldwin, they, they focus on pasteurization, which really shouldn't be your focus on, on sous vide. So Lloyd, yeah, you, you want to, you know, you'll, you'll read somebody prepared a an inch and a half New York strip and it was 131 for an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that ne- the core never even got to 131. Right. Yeah. And it's, it probably could be still pasteurized, but doesn't mean it's cooked all the way through. So Lloyd, let's, let's uh, have you talk a little bit about that. Well, I was going to mention back to uh, what Kevin was saying. I was told by a chef, don't become a chef. <laughs> when I got out of the Navy in 88, after five years, um, I thought about going to culinary school. I knew a chef. And he goes, no, don't do that. Just stay with air traffic control. Anyway, um, in fact, talking about pasteurization, there's a guy, and I asked a question in your group, Darren, and you might have seen the post. He uh, did like a cordon bleu uh, chicken breast that was butterfly and rolled. I think it was 140 for 75 minutes. Looking at the photograph, it was probably over two inches thick. Not only did it not reach core, but the surface of the breast that's on the inside probably was never pasteurized. So I asked the question, of course, how thick was it? Didn't answer my question. I may go back and actually add some other stuff. But yeah, pasteurization is not as important. Um, but when you roll something, like the guy did in your blog, in your group, Darren, that can be, uh, become an issue. But yeah, pasteurization is overrated. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say about but, that. But, but but well, nine times out of ten, though, when you are sous vide, though, when you are actually processing the food via sous vide, it will become uh, pasteurized. It's just uh, after so many hours, I mean, sometimes it'll hit like a ten or twelve or fifteen uh, log reduction. And don't forget, checking only requires a seven log reduction according to the FDA. So nine times out of ten, you're probably pasteurizing, and you don't even know it. Well, and. Also, you're you're going to sear it afterwards, you're anyways. Searing yeah, so. it beforehand or afterwards or both <laughs> yeah. times. Yeah, yeah well. so it's not a, as important as most people make out or think. Ground meat they're, they're really their biggest their biggest worry most of the time is the temperature, and they've always been told with with lower temperatures, you know, the danger zone. You got to worry about bacteria and pathogens and all that. So they got that stuck in their head. That's what everybody focuses on, but. Like we just said, you know, it's, you're going to sear it afterwards. Anyway, you're, whatever's on the surface and it doesn't get deep down into the meat. Now people don't understand that unless it's every, Costco meat. Like you said, every once in a while, I just get a craving for raw beef. And, you know, it's probably maybe once or twice a year at most, but I'll, I'll go buy a nice thick New York strip and I will get a smoking hot pan and sear it. And I pretty much eliminated virtually all risk it's not 100 percent, but i'm close and then i'll slice that thin and eat it raw it's delicious i was in vegas and i had wagyu sushi oh my god it was amazing it was with rice was, on top of rice it was with rice yes yeah. it was it was, yeah. it was really high-end wagyu whatever the hell it was is amazing i'm sure so kevin what drew you to sous vide you, to you be honest, about, I, you talked about going to Crea, but before, it, when did you first get exposed to it? And when did you start playing well, around with it? it? It was before I knew uh, of bald. I, I really can't pin it down, to be honest. I really just, I don't remember. Um, I do remember buying my first immersion circulator uh, and being so excited because I had started with like I think Lloyd had uh, with the PID controller and crock uh, a crock pot. And you know, <laughs> yeah. and it's funny. It's so funny. Cause when I, when I first started with that, I read, I read an article online and it talked about the PID controller crock pot thing. I thought, Oh, that's great. I'm going to try that. So I bought, I went to like TJ Maxx and they had an all clad electronic crock pot. And I was like, Oh, that'd be great. You know, they're usually like 250 bucks and it was on sale for like 75 bucks. I'm like, that'll be great. I'll I'll use that. Well, turns out you need the old style 
crockpots without the electronic controls for a PID controller work. So I had I had this crockpot, which I've used as a crock, which works great as a crockpot, but it didn't work for that application. I had to go and buy an old an old school exactly. And uh, yep. so that's how I started. Uh, and then I remember getting uh, I was in when a, the original Innova first came out. I got in on that. Got it. I yeah, <laughs> I still have it. I still it works great. I mean, I haven't used nice. it for a while, but I need to I need to pull it out because I burned through like three emergency circulators in the last month. <laughs> I, in fact, I killed wow. one last night, so I'm so excited. I can't wait. The the polyscience one, the new polyscience Hydro Pro, Hydro Pro, yeah, the Hydro Pro Plus. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I'm broke right now, so I can't afford one. But that thing, and, and when I saw that a year and a half ago, I was like, this is. It, it it's a game changer and then when i took the courses after that i'm like oh my gosh i can't wait for this thing to come out because <laughs> it'll 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 satisfy my HACCP needs uh if i'm if i'm teaching people how to do stuff i can say okay here's the unit you need and this will cover you for your HACCP requirements um, actually david was on my podcast we recorded it yesterday it'll be the podcast episode before this one so everybody will have to ooh. be able to go back and uh, listen to the David Petrancic poly science uh, episode that will have aired before this one and understand what the hydro pro and the hydro pro plus are. And we, we talked about some other it. stuff. We, we, we talked about some other stuff that um, poly science has out there, like the, uh, the control freak and the, uh, oh, that thing's amazing. The anti griddle, the anti griddle that you've seen. Oh, on, one of those if you've ever watched chopped <laughs> on, on the food network, you've seen that. Oh yeah. So. That's amazing they got, stuff. They got some really cool stuff. So Scott, let's get back to you. What, since you've only been cooking for three years, what is your favorite kitchen tool that you've, and you know, you can say sous vide, you know, if you want to, but if it's anything else, if it's knives or a certain pot or pan or any, anything, what's your favorite device that you have right now that you cook with outside or inside? It could be either one. <clears throat> That's a tough one. Um, probably my, Anova Precision with the insulated container is probably my favorite toy. I've got the plenty Anova of Pro? toys. Yeah, Anova Pro. Yeah, you got two of them now, don't you? I have two, and I've got. I had the the older Wi-Fi model and the the Poly Tank, and I gave them to my sister and got her into it. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to have a food saver. I gave that to a friend and bought the uh, VacMaster Channel Vac, um, and then I had a craving for um a chamber vac so i've i got the jvr that you turned me on to um i've also got the uh the anova precision oven and that's that's my latest toy uh that i've been playing with so lloyd what's what's your i know that you're gonna answer this one (laughs) i know what you're gonna say (laughs) go ahead lloyd be careful my favorite toy is the uh, BP321 chamber vac. <laughs> Love that thing. It's a huge Here we chamber go. vac. It's amazing. I mean, it weighs 200 plus pounds. I think 215, 220. Anyway, I love that thing. In fact, um, I'm making some chicken spam more this week. And I'm, I'm uh, after I calculate the fat percentage, I'm going to have all this chicken thighs left over. And I'm making an Indian dish. No recipe that's out of my freaking head, you know, or a Thai dish, whatever. I'm going to probably have 10 or 12 bags and I'm all going to uh, vacuum seal process them in my, in my, in my, uh, my big vessel. And I'm going to have 10 or 12 meals lined up. So, and right now I got my, I have a, I got a truck roast going in my, my, my 49 liter gallon, 49 liter, uh, poly science vessel with my chef series. Um, I love the stuff. I mean, but yes, my, my chamber vacuum is probably my favorite toy. How did you ever live without that? I don't know. Because you just got that like three months ago. So, and now it's. I know. So, so. Wait, yeah, Kevin. It's, it's, well, oh. I, I, uh, oh, I'm just it with, with Lloyd. I, I feel like I kick myself every day for not being able to do it. But when I was at the, uh, initial, uh, sous vide summit, uh, Eric Villegas was there and he offered me the 321 for a thousand dollars because he didn't want to do it. I should yeah, tell the problem was Lloyd. I had no way to get it into my vehicle. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, I could not lift it. 
I mean, I have a terrible yeah. bat, a spine and I couldn't lift it. So I, I had but, no way, I had no way to, to actually physically get it to my house. I'm a very strong guy. I mean, I could bench a lot of you guys, probably not Darren, you know, but I could bench Jesus. a lot of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a pretty strong guy. And I got to tell you, I had to use lifting straps to get up because it's the footprint is like 25, no, it's 24 by 23 inches. It, it's just huge. So even if I, I can lift it up, but it's out in front of you. There's no way it's, you couldn't do it. Yeah. You need two guys with lifting straps. It's, it's big. Yeah. You know, but it's an amazing unit, by the way. Anyway. So Darren, what was your question? I can't remember. What's your uh, favorite cooking tool? Well, currently your current favorite cooking tool, and it can be anything. It could be, you know, uh, you know your knife set could be whatever. Well, I, I think, well, people often ask uh, chefs, like what are the most important tools that you have and that's usually the number one answer and and it's very important but you can get by without one but i'll tell you a good pair of tongs is a lifesaver (laughs) it will pull you out of so i mean seriously i i can i can deal with a dull knife i can get through it but if i don't have tongs good pair of tongs it's it's just not gonna look good (laughs) it's gonna be ugly Um, what's your favorite tongs what's your favorite tongs kevin well, right now the OXO. I thought he said. Are. I thought he said tongues. I thought he liked oh, tongues. Gosh, <laughs> this is going in the toilet real quick. stuff. Yeah, their uh, their tongs are actually pretty solid for the money. I've had some pretty. I've had a couple pairs that are probably better than the OXO, but I've lost them along the way. So I stick with the OXO good grip tongs. Uh, uh, pans, good pans. I oh, like I have, car- carbon steel I pans. Car- carbon steel <laughs> pans are are a real. I I think they're something that they're totally underutilized in this country. They're all over in Europe, but get a good carbon steel pan. They beat the hell out of cast iron. Everyone thinks cast iron's the end all cooking pan, but it's not. Uh, get get yourself like a. I don't recommend the Lodge ones, uh, but the Mauvier and the Bratford, I don't know, there are a couple French brands that make really good uh, carbon steel pans. And then just season them properly. You season them like you do cast iron, but they're not as porous. They, they have, they're a smooth surface, so they're easier to, and they make a, an incre- if you season them properly, it's as non-stick as Teflon. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So, so you're not a fan of stainless steel pans, like the all clads and all. Oh, I, I, I have, I probably have 20 pieces of all clad. I'm a huge fan of all clad. I mean, I, I use all clad all the time. I I have, you know, Mauvier and all clad are probably the biggest producers that I, you know, the ones that I have the most of, uh, (laughs) copper has its place. Uh, I have a lot of Mauvier copper, uh, but I'm, you know, selective about using that just because it's high maintenance. Um, yeah, my go-to. I mean, I cooked on all clad last night. Uh, I cooked on a carbon steel pan the night before. Hey, all, I want to take a second and talk about Inkbird's brand new instant read thermometer, the IHT-1S. This thing has a lot of great high-end features and a very affordable price. It is 100% waterproof with an IP67 rating. Uh, two to three second ultra fast response time, backlit, fully rechargeable, no batteries to replace. This thing has got all the high end features that you would want in an instant read thermometer. Very durable. So check it out, guys. Check out the Inkbird IHT1S instant read thermometer. I think you're going to love it. It'll be your go to instant read from now on. And now back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Let's move on to. Scott, what is the next cooking tool that you're looking at maybe buying or that you're thinking you might want to get? So the next one on your list that you don't have yet, you seem to be like me when you want something, you just buy it. (laughs) Pretty much. uh, That's an easy one. The PolyScience Hydro Pro Pro Plus. That's a tongue twister. Um, That's definitely my, my next thing. Do you think you're going to use the uh, internal thermometer a lot? Um, probably fifty percent. Yeah. Uh, because you know some things you just can't probe. You know, eggs you can't probe eggs, but uh, 
<clears throat> I really, I really, I'm really excited about it too. And I definitely will probably end up buying one and more for my own personal knowledge, you know, it's got a lot of built-in stuff. And if you go back to that episode with David, you'll understand that it's built for commercial kitchens for the HACCP uh, plans that they need to keep up to date, you know, daily. And then they really need to keep the, all the temperatures together, but people like me and you don't need that, but it's always cool to understand just exactly how long it takes your particular meat to get to the internal temperature that you're cooking. Because one of the things I talked about with David is, you know, it's okay if I'm cooking, um, you know, a steak for two hours, it's already tender. But when I want to cook something that's, which I normally do a lot of barbecue meats or, you know, pork butt or brisket or uh, beef ribs, I want to know when it gets up to that internal temperature that I'm cooking it at so that I know that anything over that is going to go towards tenderization up until it hits equal equalization, you know, 134 or whatever, it's not really tenderizing. It's just cooking, getting up to the temp. And then once it hits that, the longer it goes, then you can kind of gauge right now. It's all a guessing game. You know, everything's a guessing game until you can monitor that temperature. So, Oh, Scott, by the way, you, you can probe an egg. You can use that tape and probe an egg. Really? Interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cause I'm, you know, I gotta do it. I gotta do it now. We, you know, Darren, Darren mentioned my uh, froached eggs that I made the other day, and uh, it got me thinking. the The one sixty seven thirteen, one sixty seven, one hundred sixty seven degrees thirteen minutes. What does the core actually get to? It's probably not one thirty. I would think. No, I mean you're you're that's a that's a runny yolk. Yeah. And, and you still have uh, some issues with the outside. There are two types, basically two types of albumin that you're dealing with. The outside one's the one that's kind of runny. So even when you do that temperature at that time, uh, it helps to like put it in a slotted spoon before you plate it because some of that outside albumin is still pretty runny and opaque. So it's just not mm-hmm. appealing looking. It's safe, mm-hmm. safe to eat, but it's just not a, as appealing looking as a regular poached egg. Well, apparently when you ice chill them, that part of the egg sticks to the shell, mm-hmm. um, especially if you ice chill them for a long period of time. Uh, those, the ones I did the other day, I, I ice chilled them for maybe 15 or 20 minutes and I put them in the refrigerator and forgot about them and I actually sat there for a week. So mm-hmm. they broke on, onto the skillet just perfect. Eggs, eggs are notoriously difficult, even when you're not doing sous vide. Uh, it, it, Age, age is a factor, you know, Mm -hmm. different ages affect how, I mean, how many, how many different uh, theories or scenarios have you seen someone trying to explain how to peel a boiled egg perfectly and they fail and this is, this is the best. And you, there are 5,000 theories out there and I don't think any of them work. It's (laughs) all about age. Eggs are tough. That's one of the things that I talked to with um, Gerard and uh, AJ when I had them on, we were talking about international CV day, you know, every piece of meat, not just eggs. I mean, every piece of meat is different. You know, you could have a uh, prime rib roast from a different animal could be totally different. You know, even if it's even within the grading, you know, like if it's a prime or a choice or a select, every animal is different. So, you know, you could have different times and temps, you know, the most we can do is get a general baseline, you know, for most, uh, most of the things we cook because they're all different. All right. So Lloyd, let's talk about what's your next kitchen tool. Since you got this, uh, massive vacuum, uh, chamber sealer, what's the next thing that you're looking at? So I have a lot of stuff. I got a commercial size grinder, deli slicer. I got a commercial dehydrator. I got the VP 321. I'd like to have the hydro pro plus, um, I'd also want a pellet grill. I have not bought a pellet grill yet. Uh, I'm looking at the, the, the Yoder I want, or possibly the uh, Mac uh, two-star. I don't want the two-star general. I like the, uh, the three or the four, the really, really, really big one. Also, Rectech has come out with a, a commercial size um, pellet grill. It's just, it's just monstrous. But I well, it just has to do it. everything big, doesn't he? I don't do anything small. <laughs> small. His, his motto is go big or go home. 
Yeah, go big, go home. Um, so, yeah, Pellet Grill Hydro Pro Plus. But so I already understand what yours is, Kevin. Right? You said the Hydro Pro Plus. What your yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I need so <laughs> I need to buy things that I can make money with before I can buy the other toys that I want. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, the Hydro Pro Plus is 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 something that I could use, and uh, I mean, it's it's just it seems to be an amazing circulator, and plus it has all these other features, and the HACCP thing is key to me. I was looking, I've looked at other commercial circulators, and then I'd have to buy another. Th- there's another company, I'm not going to mention it, that makes something that does similar, something similar to what the Hydro. Pro Plus does as well as has as far as HACCP stuff goes, but it's you know seven hundred dollars on top of a circulator. So now you're looking, you know, and the the Hydro Pro Plus I think is what six nine five ninety nine six hundred bucks. I think I think, I think it's, it's reasonably priced. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. it's reasonably priced too. Yeah, that's what, what I told does. David. That's what I told David. I said I can't believe you guys came out with a better circulator than what you had has more technology built into it. It's, you know, got the LCD screen. It's, it's got a lot more, you know, it's the, the thing comes apart so easy to clean and it's cheaper. <laughs> I said, you know, it, it's like a, it's like a miracle thing. It's like, it really usually doesn't happen this way where you come out with a much better, more technical technology advanced product. And it's a lot cheaper than, than your old unit. It's usually the other way around. You make it better, but it's still going to cost more money, but uh, they actually did it. And I think they're going to sell, they're going to sell a boatload of those because they are actually what every commercial kitchen has been asking for on a sous vide circulator. For and sure. that number is MSRP. Right. Well, they don't normally mess around with, uh, you know, pricing too much because they don't have to, they usually price their stuff, right. To begin with, oh let's, let's move on here. Scott, what is your favorite thing to cook? So you're only, you're a newbie. You only been cooking for three years. So you probably haven't had a whole lot of time to experiment, but what is your uh, favorite thing that you like to cook right now? Um, probably New York stripper. Well, probably sirloin. That's probably my favorite thing to cook. Now it can be different than your favorite thing to eat. You know, favorite thing to cook that would be like, you know, like with me, I like to do, you know, pork butts and briskets, but I also like to do beef ribs and I also like to do, um, you know, Asian food and stuff like that. So maybe not be my favorite thing to eat, but just as far as cooking goes. Yeah, it's still, it's still probably the strip is, is my favorite to cook. Um, I'm simple. <laughs> Lloyd. I could eat it. It's my favorite thing to do. I do it all. It was something I was, don't do. Sorry. Was it the chicken spam Everything. that you just made? You invented chicken. Spam, I just made so. that. Yeah. I, I used, uh, I, yeah, I used my, I have a commercial uh, sausage stuffer and, and I cased it into four inch casings. And uh, now I let me ask it, you a yeah. question on that. Sure. What inspired you to make that? What, what were you trying to accomplish? So, gosh, um, I wanted to recreate spam. Uh, I, I quit eating pork 21 years ago for religious reading reasons. And uh, I like replicating the pork products I grew up with, but using kosher meat. So I've made, you know, sausages, salamis, pancetta, prosciutto, uh, gabagol. I've, I've made it all. I've been able to do it with, you know, duck and lamb and beef and chicken. And um, about a year ago, I th- bacon, of course, I was thinking about uh, just popped in my head, spam. And then I, I, I thought about it for about a year. And then I had a light bulb go off. Um, but I was on Jason's podcast talking about it just a, a few days ago. And uh, a lot of guys dream of sex when they're sleeping. You know, I'm married. I don't have to. You know, I get all I want. I'm just doing <laughs> I'm, I'm married. Huh? Right? <laughs> anyway. I dream of food and had an epiphany probably about a month ago on how to pull off a chicken spam. I prefer turkey, but you can't, you can't buy lots of uh, turkey. So, and I'm really good at, um, since I really know a lot about um, preservatives and sodium nitrites, nitrites, all the, 
all the stuff that goes into making the sausages and the salamis, I applied those uh, uh, techniques and methods to the spam. I'm making it again uh, in the next couple of days, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit. And when I say tweak, I'm talking like micro percentages. Like instead of using 0.50 percentage of dextrose, I'll use 0.75. You know, I'm going to cut back on the meat uh, glue. Uh, also, um, this if you if you could do it, I could do it. I mean, this cured me. I love cured meat. So, all right, Kevin. I do it. What's all. your favorite? What's your favorite thing to cook? That's kind of like asking an Amish parent what their favorite child is. <laughs> oh, they have one. Believe me. <laughs> we all do. But, but but all twenty of them have their own qualities <laughs> that they like. <laughs> um, I I I'm I'm trying to get back into uh, legumes more. Uh, beans and and uh, I, I think the thing that I've had the most compliments on though as far as like people saying this is the best I've ever had in my life by far is pork tenderloin um, so if I want to like actually wow somebody I will do a pork I'll get do pork tenderloin and my temperature is you know I usually do 138 um, and it, it just but I season it well, you know, and sear it. Uh, but it, 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 people just say, because it's hard to do pork tenderloin. It's such a, a relatively, you know, there's no fat to it. And it's very easy to dry out. Pork loin's the same way. But I think pork tenderloin is probably my favorite sous vide cooking thing right now. Uh, the last thing I made was a huge batch of vegan lentil and uh, kale chili. <laughs> it was actually pretty good. I made a lot moving of on, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I, I love sous vide pork tenderloin is probably one of my favorite things to, to cook and impress. You know, I, you know, before I started messing around with sous vide, I'd make pork tenderloin probably like everybody else. I'd overcook it and it would dry it out. And uh, my family would just go, yeah, it's okay. Once I started cooking sous vide and I, I, I usually go a little bit higher temp, but I'm still, you know, in the low four 140s, but it's still nice and tender. Got a little bit of pink to it and so juicy. And, uh, you know, once I started doing that, my wife's like, man, this is, this is great. And, you know, I you tell relate them to you guys. Yeah, I know, but it, it, it is, it's something that, you know, cooking it traditionally, you can, it's really easy to overcook it and dry it out. And it, it's not that, you know, even though it's tender, it's, it's kind of like a filet, you know, it's like overcooking a filet mignon. You know, if you cook, overcook a filet mignon, it can go, ugh. all <laughs> right, let, let's do one last question because we're just going to, we could be here all day. Scott, what is your, what, what makes cooking fun for you, Scott, since you're a noob, we'll start with you. What makes cooking fun? What, what is, when you start, I'm going to go cook something. What makes it fun for you? The technical side of it, because that's just the way I'm I'm wired. That's probably the the most yeah. fun. I think people like you and me and Lloyd and Kevin are all the same way. We we like to know the whys and the hows and putting it to use and then seeing what the results are. And I think that's that you know type of mindset, the engineer type. I want to build this thing, and I want to know how to build it, not just you know throw it in a microwave and, and heat it up kind of thing. We like to yeah. put it together. I think I was born that way because when I was a kid, I would take my toys apart and put them back together. <laughs> yeah. I've done that before. Remember that little electronic kit that you could get and you could build it into like a thing that made you know, noise or it make it into like a little radio and it had all these it's different kit. parts. Yeah. It's like, I love that thing. I think you I got one of those when I was like, I think I got one when I was like eight years old and I, I, I built everything I could and out of that little thing. But Does I anyone else miss radio, miss radio shack as much as I do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <definitely>. <laughs> <laughs> so Lloyd, what's your, uh, what, what uh, makes cooking fun for you? Uh, probably the same thing. Um, <laughs> same thing. Like Scott mentioned in you and, and Kevin, but I, I really enjoy the process, the entire process from start to finish, even cleaning up as I got but teaching my girls, you know, you need to clean as you cook, but the entire process I enjoy. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I like the eating, of course, but the process is so, so very important to me. You know, I'm, uh, I'm looking this week. I'm, I'm making like three things this week. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I think for me personally, 
knowing the process, knowing what it took me to make it, it makes it better when I eat it. To me, it's like, I really appreciate it more because I know what I put into it. My kids yeah. and my family just sit there and just shovel it in their mouth. And it's like, you don't understand how, you know, did you, they don't care, you know, how much it took me they, to. They, they really don't. I don't. They don't. Unappreciative. Well, it's like my wife, my wife wanted, she said, you have tortillas? She was thinking about making like a quesadilla. Taking two tortillas, she's going to throw some cheese in it. My dog was in here, your freaking dog here. And she's going to put it in the freaking microwave. I said, that's disgusting. So I, I midnight, I'm sitting freaking making quesadillas, which only takes me 10 minutes, of course. But I found it I found it re- repugnant to take cheese, put it in a, in a tortilla, throw it in the freaking microwave. So, But the process is so important, so enjoyable. Kevin, what 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 drives your cooking? What makes you enjoy cooking? I I well, it's pleasing. It's making other people happy. Really, is kind of the bottom line. Uh, <clears throat> another thing I enjoy is developing recipes. <laughs> another a thing I enjoy is uh, being able to develop a recipe to the point where I can say that it's the best I've ever had. Um, and I like to, I, you know, I like to go out and try different things, but I, I want to, and it's rare that I go to a restaurant and I think to myself, I don't know how to create this dish. They have something on me that I just don't have in my repertoire. <laughs> and I love that. And then I like to find out how I can maybe replicate that, but Making people happy is pretty much the bottom line. It's probably some kind of insecurity I have where I need to make other people happy. But I uh, think we would all agree. Cooking for somebody yeah. else is very enjoyable. I think so too. That's that's too. I, I love I love doing, you know, having get togethers and stuff and being able to bring something and people go, Man, did you make the thing? And, you know, or when they ask, Hey, what'd you bring? I mean, I get this all the time at like we go to the, you know our neighborhood events or church events and people will go, uh, which one's yours? I know you brought something, you know, I don't care about what everybody else brought. I want to know what yours is so I can <laughs> yeah, get it before everybody else too. does. So they'll go sit in front of the pan that I brought. So they, they know they can get it before anybody else gets it. So yeah, we all get that. I struggle oh, I with stress and anxiety cooking for other people. If yeah. I do it for myself, there's no pressure. Uh, and everything falls in place. But if I'm doing it for somebody else, I just over overthink it and stress over it. Do it a well, couple of years, Scott. That goes away. Yeah, I think since you're so new to it, that's that's part of the insecurity. But once you you get more confident in what you you cook and you like and you eat, and then you have some people come up to you and go, "Hey, man, that was totally good." You get a few of those, and you then you know that you're doing stuff right and. It just feels good when people come up to you and go, Hey, I, what did you bring to the party? I want to make sure I go get some of that before it's all gone because they know it's going to go quick. But, um, yeah, I think and I'm that's my own a worst critic too. Uh, yeah. And that's, yeah, I think we all are. Is. Yeah. And there's plenty of times I cook something that I, th- I thought it wasn't so great, but people still go, man, that's one of some of the best of that I've ever had in my life. And, but, you know, I think that's part of, you know, this whole, the process, like Lloyd said, is that we are always experimenting, trying new things, trying to perfect something and to our personal preferences. But, you know, our personal preferences may be totally different than somebody else. To them, it might be the best thing they ever ate. And to us, it's like, eh, it's okay. But still. Yeah, I prepped you know. a, a prime rib for a Christmas dinner and I was, I was trimming it and I took a bite and I'm like, oh my God, I overshot the salt. But everybody loved it. It, it wasn't salty to them. It was just salty to me. But it's a, being your, your your own worst critic isn't necessarily a bad thing. People categorize it as a bad thing, but I don't think it really is. It kind of makes you rethink the process you went through and how you can improve it, and it makes you a better cook in the long run. You're refining, re- refining what you're doing. And I find uh, the, the biggest struggle for people when they learn how to cook is timing timing all the different dishes you know? absolutely and after a while that becomes very easy you know how long something takes to cook in your head you got it all laid out it, it becomes very easy to do now i'm a lot mellower than i used to be but when i was work, when i was working as a chef you know full-time working crazy hours 
if I had to go to the grocery store and stand in line and watch someone like pull out their checkbook and for screw everything, oh. I would, I would lose my mind. I mean, my blood pressure was probably off the roof. Now I'm not like that anymore, but, but there, the, the, everything has to be fast when you cook professionally. Darren knows you know, Darren did turn and burn stuff. I know, you know, he was under pressure quite a bit and he realizes yeah. how, how that, that, Really, you, you just have to, you have to perform and you have to perform quickly. Yeah. When you, when you got 10 minutes to get a uh, plate thrown together and stuck up in the window to be delivered and it has to look like it does on the menu or the picture or what they have in their mind, you know, you, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong and you got to move and you got to do it right. And um, yeah, I can totally understand that. One of the things getting to that, I, you ever watch that movie chef that's uh, got uh, yes. a What's the guy's John Favreau, John Favreau. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, one of the, th- I watched that again last night. Cause it's such a good movie. Cause it shows one of the, one of the favorite parts of the movies when he's got his son in the, in the truck and they're putting the truck together, the food truck and they're cooking for the construction, wor- the, the construction, the construction workers and the kid burns the one sandwich and he goes, I just serve it to him. Cause they're not paying for it anyway. And then, and the father took him outside and says, look, <laughs> I love this. This is what I do. I make people happy with what I cook and I don't do that. You don't do that. This is very, very important. This is the one thing in my life that I'm good at. And, you know, it really cut to my heart because, you know, that's what people think, you know, it's like, ah, it doesn't matter. Just go ahead. And, you know, that guy's not paying for it or they're only paying five bucks for it. It shouldn't matter. But that's not how chefs think. It's like, it's gotta be perfect. It's gotta be they're paying good money for that product. They expect when they buy something that I cook to be perfect. So it's got to be perfect. And everybody else should understand that. And if you don't, then just get the hell out of my way and let me make it perfect. Well, that's <laughs> what I was asking. I, I, I think uh, I, prices, I can't believe, like, I, I have a few friends who own restaurants and I can't believe their prices are what they are. I mean, they should be double that for the amount of, so like, this morning I was watching a video on uh, uh, bacon onion jam. Some guy was making, and I was I was watching the video, and I was like, to make that for a restaurant would take one of your cooks at least an hour, if not an hour and a half, to create that one particular part of your whole menu. Now think about how many other items are on your menu and how much labor you have and how much food costs and all it, I mean, it's the, the, the restaurant stuff is so it's such a tight margin. And, and I agree that, that, that movie is a good movie. I think the one that's most realistic as far from a, a from my perspective is uh burnt with, uh, yeah. what's his, you know, Bradley Cooper. Talking about, yeah. Uh, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Yeah, Bradley yeah. Cooper. He was rocket from guardians of the galaxy also. Really? Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, I thought you were saying Seriously? that was his name. No, no, it's Bradley <laughs> Cooper. Rocket? Yeah, Bradley yeah. Cooper. I'll be down. I'll be down. I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy. I'll have to go watch that after this. They're, they're good movies. They're good movies. Um, but yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a good one, too, because actually they had sous vide in that one, too. They did. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Cooking in a condom. All right, guys. Well, Scott, thanks for joining. Anything else you want to talk about while you're here that you want to get off your chest about the uh, Facebook groups or anything else you want? to pick Lloyd's Kevin's or my minds on while we're talking here in this situation. One thing I was going to touch on that subject is, is the preparing of, of meals ahead of time. Um, I love to do that. I, I'll cook, you know, I'll cook a batch of pork chops or a batch of chicken thighs and ice chill them. And I've, my refrigerator has a beverage drawer that you can set the temperature and I keep that drawer at 33 degrees so, you know, I'll cook a, a week's worth of meals and just pile them in the refrigerator to where you, you know, when you get home from work, well, you know, my wife's like, well, what's for supper? And I, if I don't have anything in the refrigerator, I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> so cooking that, cooking that stuff ahead of time and, and ice chilling it correctly, which a lot of people don't seem to get that concept, but, uh, you know, getting it down to temperature as quick as possible and getting it refrigerated in a, in a good cool refrigerator and not 40 degrees, uh, 
I mean, you can get six weeks out of it or longer if, as long as you chilled it properly. I've done three months. Yeah, and it just makes it so convenient, you know, re-therm it and sear it and put it on the table. Below 36.5, you get 90 days. And if you have Kevin's immune system, probably six months. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I'm right, poison myself every day. <laughs> Lloyd, what what do you uh, anything else you want to talk about before we uh, well, just, call just it two quits? things. The touch on what Scott said, um, it does pre planning. My daughter loves chicken breast and she cooks for herself. So I'll make 15 to 20 chicken breasts at a time. I'll process them. I'll show them down properly, like Scott said. I also use, for your viewers that are watching this, an aquarium pump to circulate the water, right? The heat transfer is better. Uh, and for you guys that are sous vide, watch you just, if you have a couple of freezers, just have a couple of containers of ice sitting by so you can dump it in and cool off your food. I have Lloyd. 70 pounds of ice. Lloyd, Always but you have a down. commercial ice maker at home. Not everybody can afford that. I don't have a commercial ice maker. I just have five freezers. Five okay. freezers. You know, <laughs> I have a lot. Uh, but uh, no, that's about it, really. Uh, aquarium pump, lots of ice standing by. Don't use your ice maker from the refrigerator. Just have a couple. You go to the store, you go to Fred Meyer, Safeway, whatever store, you buy some potatoes out, save the container, fill it up with water, Throw it in the freezer. You've got ice. Seven. So, that's what I would do. Anything else you want to touch on? Yeah, I just, I mean, I think anyone who's watching this, well, probably not. It, there are probably going to be some people that, that aren't involved with sous vide. And like we discussed, is it, there is the learning curve. Uh, most people are used to going out to the grocery store at maybe five o'clock and getting something and start cooking it at six o'clock. Uh, this takes a little pre-planning, uh, but the results are totally worth it. I mean, it, it will just change the way you look at food and the way you can do things. And a lot of us just talk about proteins like steak and pork, and but vegetables and legumes and there are carrots, all carrots, sorts of carrots. carrots. Yeah, carrots. Oh, I mean, potato. Uh, infusing, you know, doing uh, sous vide infused cocktails or uh, making yogurt, making creme fraiche, making, I mean, there's so many different things you can do using this technique that will make your life actually easier. Like it, if you look at a 60 hour cooking time, people think, oh my gosh, that's so much work. Well, it's not, any, it's no work. It's less work than cooking it normally, pretty much. Um, and you get better results. Carrots. I love carrots in a sous vide. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Amazing carrots. Oh. Corn and mashed potatoes for me. What is it? Yeah, that corn on the cob and mashed potatoes are two of my yeah, corn on the cob's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And, well, any, any kind of vegetable or something that normally you would cook in water in a pan or a pot, it, they taste so much better when you cook them in a bag <laughs> because you're not leaching any of that flavor out into the water that you're just throwing away. I, I remember a few years ago, I told Lloyd, uh, 185 for four hours for corn on the cob corn. and he tried that and he was like yep that's a game changer instead of instead game of an changer, hour yeah. instead of an hour do it four hours and it just for some reason it's so much better it is all right guys well i, I want to thank put you. the butter and the salt in the bag before yes. I fill it up. oh yeah definitely yeah that's pre-season them and, and they sales. And the, uh, the mashed potatoes, if you put the butter ahead of time, they slide right out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mash them up. But definitely anything that, uh, anything like that, that you would normally cook in water, it's, uh, it's going to taste a whole lot, a whole lot better because you're not leaching any of that flavor out. Yeah. Well, vegetables cool. and, you know, have to be cooked at different temperatures than protein. So yeah, 185 to 190 is kind of, you got to be in that range. 176. 177.1 is the temperature that pectin starts to break down. Okay. That was the magic number I was looking for. I was about yeah, to but, say that. But <laughs> I, I, I usually do like 185 if it's something that, I, you know. I do at least 180. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, uh, contributing to uh, – and I'm, I'm kind of shocked that you're – still such a newbie i would have thought, thought you've been doing this a while from some of the stuff i've seen you put up so thanks for uh thanks for being a part of this well when i, when I do something i take it seriously 
<laughs> yeah, as does Lloyd, right, Lloyd? A little bit. Just does everything big. Yeah, Scott and, and I have Ke- been talking for a long time, so and I don't Kevin take just anything wants, seriously. Kevin just wants attention. Yeah. Hey, I Darren, I, I remember an aha moment you 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 did. I I uh I prepared something and I and I was just blown away at how good the flavor was and uh, described the steps and you said. Oh, you dry, you accidentally dry brined it. I'm like, Doing. wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for following us on the fire and water cooking podcast. I want to thank Kevin Lloyd and Scott for being a part of this. Thanks so much for being on. We'll do it again soon. It's always fun. We'll come up with some good stuff to talk about. Thanks for following the fire and water cooking podcast. I'll see you again on the next episode. Well, thanks again for joining the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I want to thank Scott, Kevin, and Lloyd again for joining me. Make sure you check out the Fire and Water Cooking YouTube channel. Make sure you check out the Fire and Water Cooking Facebook group and page. Check out Sous Vide Food and Fun on Facebook as well. Check out the Kosher Dosher blog. And make sure you follow us on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. See you then.